Amen. Well, thank you for being with us this Lord's Day at Bloomfield Baptist Church. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18, where we're going to pick up where we left off last Lord's Day. Uh, if you've not been with us, we've been walking through the book of Exodus. Uh, we have seen how God has delivered His people out of slavery in Egypt, and now He is taking them towards the promised land. And on the way, uh, we will have this time at the mountain of God, at Mount Sinai, where God will give His law to His people. Uh, but He has been giving bits and pieces of His law throughout their journey. In fact, we'll see a mention of that today. In Exodus 18, what we've seen the focus to be is this reintroduction of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. And so we looked last Lord's Day at how as Jethro comes to Moses, Moses is able to share with Jethro about the great works of God, and we saw that great confession of Jethro in verse 11 there where he says, Now that I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. And so we have this picture of faith in Jethro, of him placing his faith in Yahweh, the one true God. And now as one who follows the one true God, uh, God is going to use him to give Moses some much-needed advice concerning a problem he is facing, advice that I believe has practical implications for us today. And so hopefully we will learn those from it. So we're going to pick up in Exodus 18 and verse 13 and read through the end of the chapter. And out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read this text for us. And this is what the inspired Word of God says. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from among the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. 
you would pray with me. Father, as we read in the Psalms, blessed is the man who meditates on your word day and night. We, we see that picture in the psalm that he's like a tree that's planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Father, we want to be the blessed man today. We want to meditate on your word and learn from it. So we pray that you might empower us to do this through your Holy Spirit in this time that we have. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, these days it's hard to turn on television without coming across some type of reality show, but there was a day that some of you remember where there was no reality TV. And all that changed around 1980. There was a television show that came on that that really was the first reality show because it didn't hire actors, it didn't work off a script, it was about the real lives of real people. It focused on disputes that took place between people. Not on a remote island, not in a mansion, nobody was singing or dancing, nobody was getting voted off. Rather, it took place in a courtroom. It was the people's court. Some of you remember the people's court. If you do, you remember Judge Wapner. You remember his trusty bailiff, Rusty. And you remember that court reporter, Doug Llewellyn who at the end of each episode would interview the the plaintiff and the defendant, and usually one of them would be upset and one of them would be happy, and and he'd talk about the case. These cases were small claims cases, but they were real cases, and so sometimes they involved things like property line disputes or issues over somebody's pet getting in their yard. Or I remember one episode was about somebody had a, a botched hairdo, and they wanted to get reimbursed for it. But all these episodes centered around these cases and they would be brought before this judge and Judge Wapner would issue his ruling and then they would share how they felt about it with court reporter. And then at the end of that time, court reporter Llewellyn would always end with these words, if you have a problem, don't take the law into your own hands, take them to court, the people's court. Well, as we come to Exodus 18, we find that God's people have some problems. In fact, there's a lot of problems. And they don't have a lot of courts to go to. They have one court and they have one judge. Because God has given them Moses as a mediator. He is there to offer judgment for them on behalf of God. And this is creating some problems because there's so many things going on. And so he needs his father-in-law Jethro to step in and give him advice that's very helpful, very practical, I think has very real implications for us in the church today. And so I want to walk through this passage and think about these things in light of what we're going to experience today, we're going to be coming to the Lord's table together today. And you may wonder, what does the Lord's table have to do with Exodus 18 and have to do with uh, Moses being the judge over these people? Well, hopefully, as we get through this sermon, you'll see what it has to do with it. And so as we go through this passage, our time of response today, how we're going to end today, is by coming to this table together. So we invite everyone here who is a professing follower of Jesus Christ, 
to come to this table with us. But before we come to the table, let's first look to the text and look to that first point there in your outline. What we see in this text is a reminder that God's people needed a mediator. God's people needed a mediator in order to understand His law. Now we've already seen this picture in Exodus of Moses as the mediator. As a mediator, Moses was the one who came to the people on behalf of God, and he was the one who went to God on behalf of the people. And so that picture we've seen so far is God would give his statutes, his laws to Moses. Moses would then go to the people and share the word of God with them. We've also seen how the people would come and they would speak to Moses and Moses would go to God on the people's behalf. We've even seen times when the people were in rebellion and disobedience and crying out, not so much Moses, but the people were, but God brings his rebuke against Moses because Moses was the one who represented the people before him. Moses was the one that represented God before the people. Moses was the mediator. And as the mediator, he was the one who was judging these disputes between God's people. And there were a lot of them. Notice there in verse 13. We see that the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. So this was an all-day occurrence. They were coming before Moses one after another, and they were coming for a couple of reasons. And so Jethro's watching all this going on, and he starts to inquire about this, and Moses explains it to him. He says, first of all, verse 15, the people come to me to inquire of God. See, the people in Moses' day were much like us today. (laughs) They wanted to know what God's will was. And they wanted to know what they were supposed to do. But they couldn't go to God directly to discern His will. They had to go to Moses in order to understand the will of God. He said, the people come to me to inquire of God. And so you can imagine what an overwhelming task this would have been for Moses. And so, for example, perhaps he had a Hebrew family who would come to him and would say, Moses, our, our son is ready for a family. He's ready for a wife and have kids. And, and we've got several families we've talked to, but we're not sure Uh, Which one of these ladies should be his bride? Moses, we need you to help us understand what is God's will for our son and for our family. And perhaps while Moses is talking to them about that, then someone else would come along and say, well, Moses, I've got a problem. I've I've, I've been blessed by God. My, My herd is growing even during this exodus. The animals I left Egypt with, it just seems like they're multiplying and and I'm finding some places for them to graze and now my cousin has come to me. His herd's not quite as big as mine, but he's seen how mine's grown, and he wants to mix them in with mine and them graze together. And I'm not sure that's such a good idea, Moses. What should I do? What's God's will for me? And perhaps while Moses is thinking that over, someone else comes to him. Moses, we've got a problem in our family. You know, we had that issue back there with the Amalekites. Well, well, I've got a, I've got a son who just is so rebellious. In fact, he. He was kind of pulling for the Amalekites. He doesn't seem to want us to make this journey to the promised land. He's kind of bitter. He's upset. He he had actually made friends with some of these Egyptians back in Egypt. And he feels like we've pulled him away from his life. and, And we just don't know what to do with him, Moses. And person after person was coming to Moses. And I imagine on days like this, Moses heard his name over and over and over again. Moses, what do we do? Moses, what do we do? And perhaps some of you can relate to this in one sense. 
a few years back now, when we had our first child, our son was born, and for those of you who have gone through this, you know how you kind of hang on that first word, and so I was, I was pretty determined uh, that our son's first word would be what every son's first word should be, daddy, and so, so I whispered it to him at night, and I, you know, I tried to help him say it, and, and sure enough, that day came when I think we were in the car, and all of a sudden, we just heard this glorious word from the back seat of the car, and daddy. And I was proud. And that lasted uh, probably for about two hours. And then a friend said, well, they might say daddy first. But once they learn to say mama, they don't ever stop saying it. And that is true. And so in our house over the last almost 18 years now, you hear mama, mama, mom, 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 over and over and over again. Perhaps that's been the case in some of your houses too. Well, you might get a, just a little hint there of what life was like for Moses because everybody's calling out Moses. Moses, we need help with this. Moses, we need help with this. Moses, we need to understand the will of God. And if that weren't enough, Moses goes on to explain to Jethro that he also was the one who makes known to them the statutes of God in his laws. So in addition to telling the people what God's will was, he was the one who had to tell people what God's ways were, what his laws were. Now for those of you who are students of the Scripture, perhaps you think right now, well, wait a second, we haven't gotten the law yet, have we? You know, we're going to see that coming in the Ten Commandments. We're going to see that at Mount Sinai. We're going to see God give His law. But we need to understand that God has already given some of the law to His people. In fact, we've seen reference to it back in Exodus 15. The Lord tells His people to give ear to His commandments and to keep all His statutes. There's an implication there that they already knew some of these things. We'll see it, for example, in the Ten Commandments. In that fourth commandment concerning the Sabbath, the Lord says to them, remember the Sabbath. He's calling them to bring to mind something He had already taught them about. So along the way, God has been given bits and pieces of His law to His people, and all that's going to culminate at Mount Sinai. But those laws that He's given, those statutes that He's given already, well, Moses is the one who has to make those known to the people. And so again, you can imagine how exhausting this was for Moses. Some people are asking about God's will. Others are asking about God's ways. Moses... I've got this dispute. Moses, I've got this issue with my neighbor. Moses, I've got this issue with my brother or my sister or my family member. Moses, Moses, Moses. And so Jethro takes a look at this and he says very clearly, this is not good. And so he offers Moses some advice, and I think this is advice that is very practical for us today. Point two there in your outline. He helps Moses to see that he needed help to effectively minister to God's people. Moses needed help to effectively minister to God's people. He says, listen, this, this is not good. And the reason it's not good, verse 18, is because you will certainly wear yourselves out. The, the Hebrew here literally says, Moses, you are going to wither up and die like a plant with no nutrition. And he gives Moses kind of the, the picture here and the words he uses. It's like a flower that if you stop watering it and it's out in the summer heat, it's just going to dry up and it's going to wither away. And Jethro says to his son-in-law Moses, Moses, 
If something doesn't change here, that's what's going to happen to you. We might say in our culture today, Moses, you're going to burn out. And so he offers Moses some very practical advice. He says there, verses 19 and 20, that Moses needs to disciple the people. He needs to disciple them. He needs to teach them about God's law. He needs to teach them in a way that they can understand it. And then perhaps they can teach it to others. I mean, that's the principle we see in the New Testament of discipleship. That's the charge we're given in the Scripture that we're to take faithful men, faithful women, we're to teach them so that they can teach others also. We are to multiply ministry in this way. And so Jethro looks at this and says, listen Moses, you're still the mediator. You're still the one who's going to God on behalf of the people. But you've got to teach these people. You've got to disciple them. They need to be able to discern some things here. And not just that, he tells them in verses 21 and 22, he needs to delegate. And so part of discipleship is delegation. So he says to him, you need to select able men from among the people. And the very first qualification of these men, Jethro says, is they need to be men who fear God. And so these are going to be men who would sit as judges over the people. And in order to effectively judge the people, they needed to fear the one true judge. They needed to be people who were faithful to God. And not just that. Jethro says they need to be trustworthy. They need to hate a bribe. And so notice these qualities that Jethro tells Moses to look for. Notice what he doesn't tell him to look for. Jethro doesn't say to Moses, I want you to find those who have the best speech. <laughs> I want you to find those who are just admire. Moses, I want you to go out there and find natural born leaders. I want you to find those who have the greatest potential. He doesn't say to Moses, I want you to go out there and whoever seems to have a really keen business sense, I want you him to be a judge. He doesn't say, I want you to find those who, who've really made a name for themselves. No, he says, Moses, I want you to look for those who fear God. And if you'll do this, Jethro says, you're going to be able to endure and the people are going to benefit as well. And that, I believe, is what happens. We see there in verses 24 through 27 that Moses takes Jethro's advice and follows these things that have very practical implications for us today. There is a lot of practical application for this text for us. There is practical application here for all of us, I believe. Some of you are in job settings or in businesses, have farms. You're in a situation where you have way too much on your shoulders right now. And if you don't learn to teach others how to do the things you do, and if you don't delegate some things out, you're going to wither. You're going to dry up and you're going to burn out. There's very practical application here from this text. There's certainly practical application in the church. That the church should not center around one pastor, one person. All the work of the ministry can't fall on the shoulders of one person in the church. I'm very thankful to be in a church where that is not the case. Everything doesn't rest on my shoulders here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. I am blessed here to be in a context where we have a plurality of pastors. We function as elders, the Bible refers to us as. So I've got Pastor Nick and Pastor Matt, and we share the burden of ministry together. But not just us. We've got a great group of deacons in our church. And these men serve faithfully 
in the work of the ministry. And not just these deacons. We've got so many people in our church who serve day to day in ministry. We saw a great picture of this just this last week. We had vacation Bible school here at the church. And we had 70 or so kids. And some nights, we had almost that many adults here serving to teach these kids about Jesus. That is a beautiful picture of the church of Jesus Christ. There, there weren't just one or two of us trying to do everything. But man, God has raised up so many wonderful men and women, so many of our youth and students who were involved in VBS this year. That's such a beautiful picture of what ministry should look like and what the New Testament describes the church to be. All of us ministering together for the glory of God and for the ministry of Christ. And so there's very practical application here from this text. And we could talk a lot about this practical application, and many have. But I want to bring our attention, our focus, back to something that often gets overlooked in Exodus 18. Back to the original problem itself. Certainly, the problem that much of the text looks at was the problem that Moses was going to burn out and he needed to disciple and delegate these things out. But remember what it was that was going to burn Moses out in the first place. The people needed to know the will of God. The people needed to know the law of God. And what we see in this old covenant structure that we have seen and will see throughout the book of Exodus is that God, in order to communicate His will and His ways to the people, He would work through a mediator like Moses, but so often these mediators fell short. See, even with this new structure that Jethro gives Moses, things don't work out so well, do they? <laughs> I mean, if this was just the need for a structural adjustment, you would assume then, well, great, now God's people are going to know His will and they're going to walk in His ways. But what do they do? And we see throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old Covenant, God's people rebel against Him. God's people rebel against His ways. And so what was truly needed here wasn't just a better structure. What was needed here was a better mediator and a better covenant. And that's where I want to call our attention to as we consider Exodus 18 and bridge from this text towards where I think ultimately this text takes us, to the Lord's table. Now let me show you how we're going to get there. If you will, either turn in your Bible or just make a note there in your notes for Jeremiah 31. We're going to look at Jeremiah 31 as we come into this third point in your outline. That today God's people have a greater mediator and we have a new covenant. So this old covenant, this old mediator was not sufficient. And all along the way, God was helping His people to see that the old covenant and mediators of the old covenant like Moses, they weren't sufficient, but they were pointing the people towards something better. And now this side of a new covenant, we can look back and see how they were pointing, God was pointing to the people. And we see it in texts like Jeremiah chapter 31. Now if you don't know anything about Jeremiah... Here's a quick summary. Jeremiah was a prophet of God who was called to preach repentance to a people who wouldn't repent. Now, as a preacher, that's an exciting call right there. You know, I want you to go to this church and I want you to call them to repent, but hey, they're never going to repent and they're going to rebel and they're not going to want to listen. You know, maybe some Baptist churches very much fit that category, but that's what Jeremiah's call was. 
And so Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he is constantly telling people that God is going to bring his judgment, that they need to repent, and they're not repenting. And he keeps calling them to repentance, and he keeps telling them about God's judgment. But even in that, we see the grace of God because God through Jeremiah tells these rebellious, unrepentant people about a new day that's coming. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. We read this word from the Lord through Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer should each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now do you see a difference between this new covenant that Jeremiah speaks of, that the Lord speaks of through Jeremiah, and this old covenant that we're seeing in Exodus 18. God says that the day was going to come when He was going to put His law within them. He was going to write it on their hearts. So they weren't going to need to stand in line to talk to Moses to understand what the law of God was. God says, no, I'm going to write it right on their hearts. That they're not going to need to teach one another because I'm going to put my law within them. That is a fundamental difference. That means, friends, today to understand the will of God and the ways of God, you don't need to go to the priest. You don't need to go to the Christian bestseller. You don't need to go to the TV evangelist. You don't need to come to your local Baptist pastor. God has given us a better mediator in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have direct access to the Father through the Son. And that is a glorious thing. And God says, when we have access to Him through the Son, He will write His Word and His will on our hearts. He will put it within us. He says that they will know, the people will know Him directly we have one-on-one access to him through the son and we don't know god then through some type of religious observance we don't know god through a list of do's and don'ts we can know god directly through his son and through repentance and faith and then he says this glorious glorious truth of the gospel he says that the the people will have their sin forgiven He said, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You realize what the the picture of dealing with sin was in the Old Covenant? That Old Testament picture we see so often? And you just imagine this scenario. You get up in the morning and you know from the time you open your eyes that you are guilty. That you're a sinner. And maybe if you don't remember it, as soon as you open up your mouth, you remember it. 
Because you say the wrong thing to your husband or your wife or your kids or your uncle or your aunt or your grandparents. You you do the wrong thing. That thing that you said, oh, I'm never going to do that again. (laughs) And you do it and you feel this guilt and this shame overwhelming you. And the longer your day goes on, the more guilty and the more shameful you feel. And so then during the course of that day, to deal with that shame and that guilt, you look among your herd, you pick the best from your flock, you can take it down to the temple, you can place your hands there on the horns of that animal while they sacrifice it. And you can say to God, God, I I pray that the blood of this animal will atone for my sins. Then the prophet of God says, God does not delight in your sacrifice. And over and over and over and over and over again, this sacrificial system that God called His people into as a picture of the true sacrifice that would come at the cross, but that was not sufficient in and of itself to forgive them of their sins. And then the prophet Jeremiah says, but listen, a day is coming, declares the Lord, when I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be blood that's shed. And the Father says of the Son, I delight in this sacrifice. This new covenant is the focus. This new covenant is the destination that the old points towards and we are blessed to live on this side of creation history when we can celebrate as God's people what it means to have a greater mediator and to have a new covenant and so are there practical applications of this text certainly but let's not miss out on the fundamental issue the fundamental issue is we like the people of God in the old testament we need to know God's will and know his ways And God has said to us today, we don't have to go stand in line and talk to Moses to find those things out. He's given us a greater mediator, our Lord Jesus. And He's given us a new covenant. How does He give us that covenant? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a text that I read each Lord's Day that we come to the Lord's table together. And I hope you will see as I read it today the connection From Exodus 18 to Jeremiah 31 to 1 Corinthians 11. How this new covenant comes about. 1 Corinthians 11, you know the context here. This is the Lord's Supper. Jesus has gathered His disciples before He will go to the cross. And He has told them that throughout the history of the church to come, that they will remember Him and will remember the Gospel through these elements, through these pictures that we come and receive at the table. And so we read there in chapter 11, Paul recounts to the Corinthians, verse 23, For I received from the Lord, but also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night when He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks and broke it, He said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, Now hear this, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so what Jesus does here is He says, I'm the way to the new covenant. My blood's the way to the new covenant. This covenant will be unlike the old. 
Under the Old Covenant, we still see people were saved by grace. It is by the grace, completely by the grace of God, that the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. They were a stubborn, rebellious people, kicking and screaming the whole way. God brings them right through the parted Red Sea because of His grace and His goodness and His mercy. But what we see in the Old Covenant is that His blessing that He put on His people was contingent on their obedience. And so we'll see throughout the Old Covenant. We'll see it throughout the law. He'll say, if you'll do this, I'll do this. If you'll do this, I'll do this. If you'll obey me, I will bless you. You get to the New Covenant, and we see that blessing now is rooted in Jesus Christ. And we see that it's rooted in the heart. Remember Jeremiah, what he said there. God was going to write His Word on our heart. So how do we see that in this New Covenant? Well, we see Jesus speak about it often. You think about Matthew chapter 5 during the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says there in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So Jesus here doesn't say, Blessed are those who are the most religious. <laughs> blessed are those who look the best on the outside. You know, blessed are the ones who get their bow tie on a Sunday morning. Blessed are those who look like they got it all together externally. Now, what does Jesus focus on? He focuses on the heart. Do you realize how radically opposed to every world religion that is? All these world religions, even many Christian churches today, or supposed Christian churches today, who tell you, well, what you've got to do is you've got to conform and you've got to change the outside. You've got to clean yourself up. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to act a certain way. And if you will follow these rules, then you'll be okay. Jesus turns that upside down. Jesus says, no, we don't, we don't change from the outside in. We change from the inside out. You want to see a radical change in a person's life? They need a heart transplant. God says through the gospel, He takes a heart of stone, He gives us a heart of flesh. Jesus says that blessed are the pure in heart. <laughs> heart, for they will see God. That's why He says in Matthew 5, 28, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is concerned about the heart here. He goes on, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And so Jesus continues to focus on the heart. And in doing that, He helps us to see that the, old, the, old, the new covenant does what the old covenant couldn't do. The new covenant allows God to have all of us and have our full devotion rooted in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so as those who've responded to that gospel, then we can go back and we can obey what the Israelites so often failed to do. Remember what God called them to do in Deuteronomy 6? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And friends, we can do this through the gospel of Jesus. And so, the call for us today is to remember this new covenant because our flesh, our sinful response so often to the new is to go back to the old. And so Jesus says here very clearly, we need to remember, for example, that, that He's the mediator. That we go to the Father through the Son. And so we need to repent of our gravitational pull so often to go to other people 
to hear a word from the Lord. And you never notice how drawn people are in our culture, even in the church today, to go to some type of psychic or mystic or priest or priestess who says, well, I can tell you exactly what God wants you to do. Well, we're drawn to other people, even within the church today. I have people so often come to me and they say, Pastor, I want to know what's God's will. And I'll say, well, then ask God. You know? I mean, I don't mean that sarcastically, but it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If you want to know God's will, ask God. If you want to know my will, I'll tell you my will all day long, you know. You want what I want you to do? Sure, I can tell you what I want you to do. But if we want to know the will of God, we ask God. And that doesn't mean we need to go on some spiritual quest out in the woods. God has given us His Word. God has given us His Son. It says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and He walked among us. We have the Word here. We have the way to God here. We have the will of God here. So if we want to know that will, we go to God. We don't go to another person. God will use other people in our lives as confirmation at times. But my goodness, think of how much today we go to them primarily and then we try to back that up with what the Word says rather than going directly to what the Word of God says we are to do. And so we need to repent of that and trust in the great mediator God has given us in Christ. We need to remember that we have a better covenant a new covenant, friends. And this covenant doesn't rest in our works and our obedience. Fundamentally, this covenant rests in the works of Jesus Christ and of His obedience. And so you this morning have no security if your hope rests in your works. If your hope rests in, well, Lord, I think I've done my best. I want you to go with me for a moment. If I were to ask you this question, I want you to answer this in your mind. If I were to ask you this question, as I've asked so many before, if you were to stand before God today and He were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to Him? And if your response starts with, I, it's wrong. If your response is, well, I've tried really hard, or I've done this, or I've never done that, then friend, you have missed the Gospel entirely. The only plea we have before the Father is to rest securely in the hands of the Son. And so we stand before God, and it is not we who speak in our behalf, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who speaks in our behalf, and He is the only one who can say to God, what I have done. He says, I lived in perfect obedience. I went to the cross. I finished the work on the cross. And I have bought this one with my blood. Friends, that's what we rest in in the new covenant. And yet, how often are we pulled back into this old covenant mindset? Well, if I just try hard enough, if I just make enough sacrifices, if I just write a big enough check, Friends, we trust in work, but it is not ours. It is Christ we trust in. Nothing more, nothing less. And this table calls us back to that. And it calls us to remember that. And so today, the invitation, that the response today is going to be the Lord's table. The invitation is for those of us who are professing followers of Christ to come to this table thoughtfully, the Scripture says before we take this bread and take this cup, we are to consider prayerfully, Lord, am I repentant? Lord, am I confessing Christ as Lord? Lord, am I living under the new or am I going back to the old? 
Does God have your whole heart today? Does He have your focus and your devotion? And if not, friend, you need to repent and you need to trust in Him as we prepare to come to this table. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to place your faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord, you've yet to, to profess that faith in Christ, we invite you to observe as we who have partake in this table together as we celebrate this new covenant together.